So we just um, brief recap to gather things up. Um, started off with the Buddha's three knowledges, three realizations, and what this points to is a holistic vision of this kind of great continuum of being, you might say, one way of putting it, continuum of being in which these various personal forms arise and pass away, rather like a great ocean, and these waves of beings, you know, being this and being that, kind of run across this ocean and they rise up and they pass away into it, and the ocean continues, and then it throws up another wave. Um, and these are these in seemingly independent personal forms, you know, this person, that person. And uh, in this realization, the Buddha also recognizes a kind of overriding me sense that hovers over all this and identifies with all of these waves as they come up. I was this, I was that, I was this, I was that. So this kind of continuum of being. This is, you know, the basic um, paradigm and predicament of the Buddha and perhaps for many of us when we come to this is this we have this me sense and we're associating with something that isn't um, gives us some pleasure some pain goes on tends to break up we, we may very well wonder well what's the point of all this then uh, or when is it gonna, when does it get to the stasis the good spot and stay there why does it keep shifting and changing um, and then when, what happens when I die or uh, do I just become nothing if, if I become nothing what am I now am I something or no, nothing or where did I come from what's the point point? Mm. and how do I get out of this confusion so this the me sense becomes extremely activated and is in struggling with what it experiences struggling with the uh, pleasure pain experience trying to have more of the pleasure guarantee it trying to avoid the pain struggling with the birth death experience not wanting to die not wanting degeneration um, struggling with the change of the sense faculties and then also struggling with being in a continuum that contains other beings who are doing the same old thing and kind of bouncing around against each other sometimes fortunately sometimes unfortunately and uh, all this accumulations the Buddha says you know even when it was good how, how many tears have you shed through separation from that which you loved so even in this very lifetime how many, how many tears have we shed how much pain, how much disappointment have we experienced over separation from that which we love so this, ex this existential angst this stress of you can't, you can't find a, quite find a good settled place within it but you can't get out of it either so the me sense becomes extremely agitated uh, and activated and like most um, people in this predicament the Buddha 
starts off as, a, as an aspirant saying well how do I get me out of here you know so he tries these various methods of concentration that will somehow suspend one's uh, experience of the sensory realm so he goes into these states of um, meditative absorption or he tries asceticism where you just basically crush down all the feelings and develop a kind of will that will not numbs them out you become impervious to feeling that's the idea or you starve the body so it doesn't um, so you're less sensitive to it you try to get out that way try to break the, the bondage to the body through these means or you try it through meditative means that is you try to find states of consciousness will get you out of the body out of the sense realm out of pleasure and pain and so the Buddha does all this for six years and he's uh, very good at it and he says still you come down and there you are again so he starts to employ, employ a different tack and he says well why don't I just relax a little bit and uh, maybe look at just feeling more comfortable not pushing one way or another just not pushing to get out of it but maybe just saying how can I kind of feel more at ease within it and he, then he develops meditation from that perspective based on uh, subtle forms of pleasure but then he says I didn't allow that to take hold of my mind I didn't just hook into that as an ultimate thing in itself I used that as a base to feel no longer pressed pushed in by feelings and perception so I got some clear space and then I started to investigate so this is we might say this is the whole path of insight you, you investigate well what is here what's it based on what's it dependent on how does it arise how does it pass what brings it into being and what are the reactions that occur within that and through contemplating in this way um, he starts to see whether well, certain formative tendencies that are based upon wholesome and unwholesome that is when the, the mind picks up a, a, what a certain energy certain disposition it goes towards a happier more easeful more uh, restful beautiful state and when it picks up other tendencies it goes to a more um, unpleasant bitter or destructive state this is karma wholesome and unwholesome these are not just judgments these are actual you know um, energies and, and experiences that, that can be t- witnessed and testified to still this is an end of the problem because there's still the sense of the me doing good, doing bad still hanging around still moving on from one life to the next perhaps going uh, in a good better direction but still going on and on and on and because of that having to experience birth, death and so forth so then the, the, the third great insight which is um, very, very profound says rather than deal with me getting out of here and me becoming this and that why don't we just look at what gives rise to this impression of me 
you know, or it, you know, what, what is what is the relationship? The mind is very still and peaceful, uh, and it starts to see there's the, the the relationship of attachment and uh, is bound up with um, grabbing or resisting or entangling with sense contact and it's bound up with um, the sense of being something, becoming something this disposition to become a mental state identification we might say an identification rather than being you know an entity I am an entity it's an actual dynamic that is there's an identification experience that flows out and happens you know we become that particular thought we feel invested in a particular feeling we feel identified with a particular sensation we grab it we cling to it we cleave to it yeah or we try to cleave to its opposite we, we try to become other than that so you get this, these are called bhava vibhava and they're both the same tendency one is operating in one direction one is operating in the other direction so these asava being or becoming which means we become a thing or we try to become its opposite and he's, he's able to see through this that if this particular dynamic this particular activity can be seen through and released or relaxed then the me sense dissipates so then there isn't a me to get it out of it <laughs> and with that uh, this recognition that it is in fact this very process of becoming which he hadn't been aware of before there was ignorance there was this not knowing not really getting this point not really looking at the dynamics because of not looking at that that activity that subtle habitual activity of, of being identifying with hanging on because of not seeing that there is this this is what um, brings the whole this cosmic thing into play so and so that uh, what we looked at yesterday was one way of analyzing one way of describing what the me sense comes up against the me sense is we might say chitta what that can contact is form you can certainly get the sense of some kind of material form here that that can be experienced in that way Um, there's a consciousness there's a sense of continual input happening being made aware of things and there are feelings physical mental feelings physical feelings of pleasure and pain mental feelings of happiness and unhappiness neutrality weak spirit we can look at that we can feel affected by that and there are um, perceptions which are felt meanings interpretations so we can uh, any given moment we have an interpretation of our present experience we have an interpretation of the objects which we witness 
we have an interpretation of our past we have an interpretation about our identity and who we are and how much we're worth and what, how good, bad, big, small, beautiful, fair or foul we are <laughs> and, and similarly for everyone else <laughs> so you have this perceptual realm that's uh, activity that's running all the time you can look at that and you can be very much affected and delighted and horrified and so forth by that so you get a whole lot of resonances occurring around felt meanings sanya you can also contact the very um, sankharas that is as mental formations that is particular um, do it uh, programs do it so it rises most readily as some kind of do it make it happen make it stop happening change it fix it so on so that's Chitta Sankara the, that's, the, that's, the, that's the one we most readily acknowledge because that's the one the me sense in the Chitta is most intimately continually coming into contact with this kind of what I call a volitional pulse but also in this can be understood the which takes a little bit more consideration and perhaps deeper meditation that there's something binding all this this form feeling you know when, when there's a feeling there's this understanding what's happening to this form we don't see a feeling isn't drifting around in space and you go well that's interesting or where's that you think it's happening to this body form there's something sticks those together so there's a program that binds all this stuff together into one conglomerate that's why it's called conglomerate heaps, bundles it's a stuck lump bits and pieces stuck together because actually we can recognize that although we have the experience of a form that can be afflicted by pleasure and pain the form itself changes most obviously through a lifetime it's not the same as it was 25 years ago and, and so forth it's also even changing from um, hour to hour in terms of whether this particular form feels uh, vibrant, bright or dull um, so this is, we might call this the fire element the vitality element mm. whether it feels uh, kind of sagging and crumpled or whether it feels um, you know, how solid it feels yeah. so it's changing all the time slowly what changes very quickly is consciousness so if you say well I am consciousness then the Buddhist analysis is say well which one are you eye consciousness, ear consciousness, nose consciousness, tongue consciousness which one because things are coming in from all, you're being made, all kinds of stuff is being made present for you hmm. or you say well probably you'd come settle down for mind consciousness this is, this is the real this is the bit that I'm really affected by so it's mind consciousness so 
which kind of mind consciousness is it? Is it mind consciousness when you're asleep? Mind consciousness when you just had a cup of coffee? Mind consciousness when you're happy? Mind consciousness when you're uh, busy? Mind consciousness when you're sleepy? Which, which one is it? Oh, uh, which one is the real me? Yeah. <laughs> is it my playful, carefree one, or my serious one, or my responsible one, or my... Uh, you know, slightly confused one. Which which one of those mind consciousnesses are you? You go well. <laughs> so you kind of step back a bit. Um, you know. Uh, so so it goes. Um, so the thing is, in this analysis, you're seeing that all these are like roll on a roll, and different ones are coming up. Different sets of feelings are coming up. Different sets of perceptions are coming up, and yet rather like something that's hovering over a rolling ball, the me sense stays in this virtual space with stuff rolling under it and it's continually tracking the bit that's rolling and saying, oh that's me that's me, and at the moment it's true because <laughs> that's, that's, that's what it's being touched by right now you know, that's me, that's me, that's me but it's actually the whole it's, it's, in, it's impermanent and when we try to examine what this me sense is independent of those five aggregates so okay if we say look at that little model there's a me sense hovering over this stuff so what is that me sense if it's not form not feeling, not perception, not consciousness So if we might say it's a, uh, that in this uh, sankara there's this element of the things are rolling around and the, all these various elements are rolling around and in the, in the kind of resonances and repercussions there's this rather like um, you know a heat haze being caused by heat refracting through the atmosphere so you get particular patterns arising that seem like you see trees, you see mirages. Similarly, this me sense is something that's got a, it's certainly manifest, but it's rather like a, a mirage. You know, that there, are, there are real changing forces that occur, and what occur, what comes out of it is this very um, powerful, uh, hypnotic, but actually ungraspable me sense. So rather than get hypnotized in the me sense most practice is really about dealing with the dynamics that generate it which is the relationships to the five aggregates and the relationships that bind the five aggregates together so we have a sense of how do we um, regard the five aggregates as impermanent inconstant not self the, the emphasis in that particular analysis is to move towards uh, detachment and viveka detachment sometimes translated as seclusion or withdrawal or non-attachment mm. stepping back you might say viraga dispassion one is uh, no longer so stirred up by it all you can see it, oh well there it goes feeling, 
you know it's more like that and niroda not not running ceasing there is a ceasing of putting more into the mix so rather than creating more um, perceptions and directives and more more programs around that that can stop and the ball can then stop stops rolling or if it doesn't stop rolling it rolls in a way in which we are no longer um, so entangled with it the me sense doesn't have to keep um, being generated through that so that, that's called abandonment the me sense can't see anything but the five aggregates so because yeah. the me sense is produced by the five aggregates so it can't see much else it's only when the five aggregates when there's more detachment from it that the me sense goes down and there's an opening to something something else and then the more that the me sense is quells and releases and subdues the, the what we might call the something else you know becomes apparent mm-hmm. and it, it doesn't have a me sense to it but at the same time it's, it's personally experienced right. so in the releasing as it says in, in the opening in the stilling and the quelling of the sankharas is this um um, realization of nibbana. So that, that's one analysis how sankhara operate in looking at it in terms of these five aggregates. It may be a little bit um, abstract. So today I'll talk a more, perhaps more pra- things you might find more accessible, which is karma which deals very much more with our volitional our intentional our do it energies through body speech and mind body speech and heart if you like that body kaya speech vajji and mind or heart chitta so I tell you because volition is karma and Gutra book of the sixes number 63 I tell you because volition is karma intention is karma the word is Chetana C-E-T-A-N-A Chetana volition is karma now just to start with that because we may already have a range of notions or assumptions about what karma is which come from um, different views of what what this word means or perhaps slightly shorthand versions of it or even direct misunderstandings of it karma the word from the verb karoti to do the verb, the verb is karoti, meaning to do, karma, doing, action. So action is volition. If there's no push, there's no, there's no impulse, there's no action. So it's kind of the impulse, the volition is the push to do, which uh, mostly 
by and large arises in the mind you, know, you, can, you can get kind of reflex twitches in your body so you strike your knee and it twitches you get leg jumps so certainly there's an action there but you wouldn't call that karma because there's no there's no, no um, there's no wish there's no so the the, the uh, intention is a mental experience or a psychological experience it's not in, in, not necessarily an intellectual experience it's not necessarily conjoined with thought but it is felt it's felt as a kind of rising you know either welling up or a rushing up um, it's an impulse we might say this is volition and one can sense that that push so this is kamma action what is activated you go into action, you go into action stations. Hmm. The other term that's conjoined with kama is vipaka, V-I-P-A-K-A, which means result. So it's result of that action, kama vipaka. So when there's an action, something is effected because of that action and it's primarily what is meant by the sense of the result or the effect is not you know I, I um, it's the effect on yourself primarily so you know you may hit someone and they got a black eye the reparker is not really the black eye the reparker is um, you know the, the, the regret that's left in your mind or the relationship that you then have to experience with this person you know they will be they will not be very friendly to you in future he thinks so that's the vipaka that's the result it's the bit that will stick to you vipaka and the teaching and the advice and the guidance of the Buddha says well every intention has some effect that will stick to you Or stick and around this process of an intention or an impulse and a sticking is another way of understanding the me sense mm. yeah. so the impulse arises and as it arises there's a me sense that goes along with it yeah. or it even arises from a me sense and then the result is I am stuck with this uh, good or bad it comes back you, re- you remember it either you consciously remember it or it comes back to you in somewhere or another we parka so in this way the me sense becomes layered or configured or clothed in the results of actions So and the, the Buddha's vision of this was this process has such momentum that it goes on past this 
span of this body's life so actions that are done now the effects of those may in fact continue into a future life through the process of sankhara so wholesome unwholesome body speech mind intention impulse and result accumulation and how the me sense gets uh, crystallizes within that yeah that's that's one piece to get next piece to get which you know many people doubt is that the this continues into a future life basically because how can that be the case body falls away Buddha says consciousness does not transmigrate to a future life consciousness um, goes out at the end of this life but what does transmigrate it seems are sankara which you might say are rather like um, genetic codes which move from one life to the next or you might say they're like emails <laughs> it's in your box with you <laughs> so sooner or later you come back open your box and there it is <laughs> so we're, you know, where those, I can't see all those emails moving through the sky there must be millions of them beaming away up there so they don't exist because <laughs> I can't see them <laughs> so the the, the uh, you know, so we, because we can't empirically testify to future life or past life, then we know well, it, there isn't one. Mm-hmm. Well, that may that may be the case, but as we recognise in the history of human beings, you know, there have been people who, who would, would not accept that the Earth wasn't the centre of the universe. They were wrong. They just didn't have the way of measuring it. The people who you know, we didn't know about bacteria, so there weren't any until we found ways of measuring it. Um, we used to believe in there only being three dimensions because we had no other way to measure it. Now there's about 11. There's things like um, phase space in dynamics. There's quantum universes out there. There's things like you know, virtual realities where you know, um, subatomic particles can exist or not exist or neither exist or not exist so we're kind of starting to accept this intellectually which a hundred years ago was complete madness and <laughs> so um, you know there are just because one doesn't know something doesn't mean it doesn't happen and so the model the Buddha is presenting is of a kind of a continuum of being um, with these energies these dynamic processes you know pulsing through it and um, so these are these are sankara these are movements these are intelligence movements that, that continually inform and reinform um, and as we were commenting on the first day this biologist talking about morphogenetic fields how you know um, the morphogenetic field around a mouse embryo knows how to be a mouse it doesn't become a cat or a plant it becomes a mouse and how the cell itself knows how to divide into various 
things like an eyeball or a tooth or a hair or a gland so where's that you know <laughs> you cut out one of these little cells where is it all so some sense of there being an intelligence field of intelligence that we can't most of us can't discern we can't you know, have ways of measuring it but the Buddha did and he's saying this is not just located in time, so it's located, not located in space, it's located in time. So it extends um, through the, through, throughout time. He also says, well, if you don't want to take that on, then that's up to you. But So even if there isn't, he said, if there isn't a rebirth, then the teachers on karma still are useful because they, they will tell you that during this life, you know, the good you do, you'll get results of, and the bad you do, you get results of. So, just remember the teachings on transmigration, rebirth is perhaps inaccurate word to use, transmigration were not cultural. Um, everybody, it seems that they were not accepted universally at the time of the Buddha, they weren't things he was indoctrinated into. There are several suttas where the Buddha says to people, if you don't believe in rebirth, then what you can't deny is that right now you get causes and effects. You can see that process. So evidently not everybody did believe in it. In the narratives of these six heretical teachers, or six teachers of other views, then certainly some of those had no concept of, of rebirth or transmigration. So it wasn't just a piece of uh, stuff that everybody accepted seems to be something the Buddha validly experienced for himself and passed it on but he said fine if you don't want to take that on still teachings on karma still make sense cause and effect and they can help us to live life with a sense of um, awareness and basically even more important than this feeling of I'm going to I'm going to get it in the neck if I do this. <laughs> the sense of what right now feels wholesome. That's the most important piece. Not to even be looking too much at you know, how much I'm going to have to pay off in five lifetimes if I do this. Is it worth it? You know? <laughs> Maybe it is. <laughs> you know, pay the bill five lifetimes later. Well, okay, but... <laughs> Let's say right now, how does it feel? Uh, is, it, is it wholesome or unwholesome? So this is really the, perhaps the most pertinent bit. Does it bring up skillful mind state that you want to live with, that you, do you, do you feel good about? Does it bring up an unskillful mind state? So, you know, so you can look consider that um, in terms of karma. So perhaps the most important practical piece here and now piece for a meditator is to focus on the feeling of your intention the feeling associated with your intention with your intention and you get to know these how what words you want to use about it you have to use yourself with an intention feels sour bitter hostile whether uh, it feels grand beautiful you know, however, you, you're just getting a feeling for the unwholesome and the unwholesome and knowing it for yourself. 
um, then through um, body and how it manifests through body, speech and mind I'll, I'll just pause there if there's any questions is it yeah so it's common Karma is, is the volitional pulse itself. The volition formations are slightly different. That is, if you, you what happens, if you like, when there is a volition, an impulse, if you can imagine rather like, um, say, tracer bullets, you know, they, they create a line. So that particular line is the sankara, it's the formation. So if we do a thing, this is why. I'll explain later how if you do a thing repeatedly it becomes a habit so repeated intention creates a, a very firm track so firm that after a while you go down it whether you decide to or not you don't go in automatic that's the sankara is the kind of is the track that's created through the fault through through volition and of course the, those tracks will tend to attract volition that is when when the when the impulse is moving around where to go go down the pathways that have been created. That's the sankaras. Yeah? Sankara is the path or the track, and volition is the energy that rushes down that track. The volition creates the track, and the track attracts volition. If you have. Um, like a, a piece of flat land and water dro drops onto it and it creates a groove if you like the falling water is the volition the groove is the sankara after a while that groove cuts deeper all the water will rush down that groove it becomes a stream it becomes a river it cuts deep that's the sankara so what, after a period of time all water will rush down that so that means your volition will rush down the trackway that it, has, that it started to form through repeated action so if you carve good tracks your volition goes in a, tends to go in a good way if you carve bad ones it goes in a bad way so it's like a program that creates creates a program that reinforces it yeah that's it and the energy of the water is more the direction you know, towards good or bad so that it can be intense you know, extremely vigorous or it can be subdued you, know, you can have a kind of vague feeling of ill will that's kind of weak weak in energy but it's going in the wrong, it's going in a, the wrong direction or it could be extremely intense and going in a bad direction or, or mixed in fact some, so some kind of karma has got some good, some bad in it. It's a mixture, you know. Like you may say, you you, you want to feed a bird, so you you kill a you kill a snail to feed the bird. So is that good or bad? Well, it's good for the bird. <laughs> there's some good in it, and there's some bad in it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like brain development that you know the science of when a child's brain is. Um, developing the more they have repeated activities those neurons become strong mm -hmm, mm -hmm. those that aren't mm -hmm. used eventually die mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. I mean, that's just come up in mm-hmm. the last 10 or 15 mm-hmm. years that people are looking at that. Mm-hmm. That's so it's hardwired. Yeah. So through it actually starts to create physical form. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Neurological form, yeah. Mm. I think, yeah, because I guess in terms of neurology, it's it's kind of which neurons are switched on most will be the ones that survive, and which chemicals rush through the system are the ones that are going to prevail. Mm. <laughs> so you get the vipaka, is that you're wired to be anxious or hostile or whatever it is. Equally true from that research you can develop the other side, like say if the left side of the brain is more affected, say if someone has abuse in their background and another side doesn't get developed, you can develop the other side. It's not a done deal. It's not? It's not a done deal. Okay, okay, there is possibility of change. Good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. A lot of work. Yeah. Just a lady. Um, I have a question about mixed feelings or mixed intentions. Back on page seven of quotation from the Buddhist dictionary, um, he says sort of in passing, um, with one and the same unit of consciousness, only one single kind of feeling, say joy or sorrow, mm-hmm. can be associated with never more than one. Mm-hmm. Told myself that he was talking about very small units of consciousness, I guess. Mm-hmm. But in evaluating actions from the um, point of view, I often have mixed motives. Yeah. Well, those those fifty mental formations, you see. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> you thought you only had two or three, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Lady in the back? Yes, yeah, so following on with that, if there's um, kind of a mixed message about something, an indecision about whether it's going to create good karma or bad karma because it's, it's not clear, what are the signs that one is really aiming towards good karma Well, um, one one form is is the form of, of confusion itself, which tends to kind of overlay. Um, so this is why we meditate. One reason why we meditate is we try to get clearer, you know, because there's a lot of perceptions and and reverberations and interpretations going on. So you try to get clearer to make the mind a bit more still. Then there's which then you'll see which which flavour predominates. So as is the case is that one may have we might say mixed feelings. You basically love someone, feel very warm towards them, yet this bit is irritating you. <laughs> so then you know so that's that's you might say that's the feeling, and then your intentions might be, you know, that there's an underlying intention for their for their welfare, but the dominant one at the moment is is irritation. So you get an intention that's perhaps negative. So then, really, it's um, in terms of practice, you go back to the more wholesome one, 
and then you review behavior from um, that more wholesome place because these intentions are triggered by perceptions that's why you get mixed mixed feelings because you may have a, a perception that you, is kind of stored in your mind when you see Joe or Bob or Mary whatever it is this is my friend that's a kind of stored up pattern and yet present moment he came late <laughs> so you have that perception yeah so you know you kind of you have these mixtures of things so you want to actually you wonder what to do what to do is to stabilize the mind in the wholesome and from that position you know your sense of this is my friend or whatever you find a way to say well it really helps me if you turn up on time or something <laughs> so that your intention is one to um, out of compassion or uh, um, things of that nature maybe juggling too many plates so you don't really get a hold of them very quickly or very very firmly so by and large it always helps if you take on less and slow down and you get more quality of attention so <coughs> I think most of us meditators get that sense of um, to get more quality out of life doesn't mean adding more stuff it means increasing attention increasing awareness of, of the stuff that's already here and making life simpler then your, your inner world becomes something you're more familiar with and you get more quality out of um, so basically that would be recommendation why things like you know, renunciation are there to make you feel better not to make you feel worse you let go of a few things and slow and sometimes slowing down is really just like 10 seconds the panic button says you haven't got one second but if you, if you haven't got one second you know that's that, that, is that true? if you give it 10 just so that the, the, the wave of that energy passes you know, the mental wave the kind of woo passes at least you can see it peak and subside a little bit and you get some perspective on you see it once it's as it's passing you say hey that was that was just fear that was just me being anxious okay 
and then you maybe think well let's give it a few more seconds once you've started to see it and then oh now it's subsiding now it's just something like feeling slightly disoriented and then wait a little longer it's gone didn't need to act on that at all Henry Um, when you were speaking about the knee sense somehow today it was reaching me a little more deeply than uh, that idea has in the past and I was sense of connection is sankara because through repeated contact a certain pattern builds up so when the repeated actions intentions, thoughts, considerations build up this is not bad it's just that it's a form, it's not bad it's not negative, it's just that's what happens you get a pattern starts to develop and uh, you know most of us will live really experiencing that and valuing that on a, on a level of custom and, and society we look to find forms we look to find these forms and the Buddha himself Mangala Sutta talks about wife, family, children and so forth this is your circle you know, this is important how you be, particularly how you behave in this this is valuable these are, this is a treasure for you so that sense but this is this is sankara this is conditioned by um, repeated connections emotional connections heart connections verbal connections bodily connections mm-hmm. so that and that that's a, means it's highly configured there's a lot of specific how am I nice how do I when I feel kindness towards Betty this means I do this or I do that but I wouldn't do to feel kindness towards Joseph I do something different you know you've got different ways of behaving towards different people there's the indefinite the quantum indefinite sense is that to all beings you try to have that sense of may they be well you know, may I not harm them uh, if any ill will arises me, me towards them may I let go of that so that's, that's the fundament um, that's the fundamental intention towards all beings and then some beings if you're deliberate if you're more continuing to connecting with then patterns start to develop based upon those in much more specific and configured ways 
and that happens mm-hmm. so um, but also to remember that all those beings you'll be separated from and uh, they may you know their feelings and emotions and destinies will affect you so that's Sankara that's that's Vipaka that's the result yep. I'm back to the mixed motives which mm-hmm. uh, for example, I'll, I'll give an example you know, I'm thinking of visiting someone who's ill the original impulse might be empathy but then I start to identify around it well do I just want to do this because makes me feel like a good person and I identifying around mm-hmm. this uh, but then sometimes the examination of motives can stop you from doing something mm-hmm. that person might actually want you to show up at lunch mm-hmm. they don't care about right. your uh, motives <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> so um, uh, my, I guess my question is at what point does that examination you just say, oh, the heck with it, let me just go yeah. do this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not a bad thing. Right. Well, that's, you see, when, you, when we consider intentions, we get too analytical about them. You know, mm-hmm. you start to do a kind of analytical job on it. Is it because I've got a, uh, you know, a, a sibling dependency pattern running for me or something? <laughs> 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 right. Or, you know, well. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, you know, which has its truth and meaning and value in its own way, but you kind of go un- underneath your head and you find that, that there you may feel uh, an intention to help, intention to bring well being. And there may be elements of uncertainty with that. But you check that out. Well, actually, which is the dominant one? Dominant one is may they be well. And whether there's going to be a little bit of grasping, may they like me in return? Well, maybe there is that little bit of that, but we'll have to learn about that, you know. Because you can't start out completely pure. So you've got to work with the best thing you've got running that you can trust. And. Uh, Learn, you know, that when you turned up with lunch, they said, "What are you doing here? <laughs> Get out!" <laughs> they didn't want your lunch. <laughs> so you think, "Are you attached?" <laughs> then, you, then you find out, don't you? you? Think, okay, still, my intention was good. I'm happy. I did good karma. You know. Then you see this little bit of, "I want them to like me in return." That takes a knot, doesn't it? Well, you look at it, well, yes, but you look at it sometimes. Okay, you have mixed motives, but you decide to go ahead anyway, mm-hmm. and there's a good result that comes from it. Mm-hmm. Does that have anything to do with your motives, or you just, uh, or sometimes it's a bad result, but your intentions were basically good? Can you reflect back on your intentions by what happens when you do something? Yes and no. You see, there can be a whole range of, of events happening. So you look at the results of your intention, you know, particularly the results in your own mind. 
you did good you acted in that way you feel you did good you know they didn't like it okay maybe you weren't mindful enough check it out maybe there's no way you could have known that and they didn't want that maybe as you're you know doing that and you said hello they 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 dropped what they were you know they got startled and dropped their cup you know but that was not your intention that's not related to your intention um, you know and you think well was I being mindful was I perhaps I wasn't mindful was I wasn't really aware clear enough so let's be a bit clearer you may learn but still basically your intention was right and you look at the results of that in the when you're in a, this kind of multifaceted world there's all sorts of stuff rolling backwards and forwards that you're you're, you're affected by but what you live with is you know the results of your intentions you also have to live with naturally you have to live with what other people do to you You so they get angry with you they abuse you they're unpleasant to you they blame you so you get those effects Um, so it's very important then as you can feel definite perceptions and feelings around that then invade the heart yeah somebody blames you accuses you is unjust towards you or hurts you perceptions and feelings arise in the heart so yeah so was that because of what I did was that direct result of my intention or was it their in, their intention you know so you look at it, so then okay that was that wasn't mine that was his or hers you know but still, you, you know, so that gives you some way of, of not continuing to store up the unskillful karma of other people. So we'll look at this issue more closely, actually, because it, it's an important one mm-hmm. to do with jitta sankara, the, the, which is the most powerful and, and the most use and the most formative experience that we have jitta sankara which is the karmic formations of the mind so i think i'll move on to that these, these kaya sankara vajji sankara jitta sankara can be understood in two ways first of all is the fundamental basis you might say so in this respect kaya sankara the bodily process is around breathing in and breathing out back to the basis of bodily action if you don't have breathing in and breathing out you ain't going to do much action Jitta <laughs> Sankara, um, so you might say that's the vipaka, that's the inheritance of birth. And based upon that inheritance, the vipaka of being born, there is the possibility of the arising of fresh karma in terms of the body. Because the body is alive, we can do things with it. Kaya Sankara picks up 
and is uh, activated through chitta sankara through the intention impulses of the mind so the basis so say the causal basis of, of kaya sankara is breathing in breathing out the causal product the products of kaya sankara are physical actions causal basis of jitta sankara is perception and feeling because there is perception and feeling the mind is activated because there are feelings contacts that arise pleasure pain the mind is activated in terms of uh, wanting not wanting feeling pleased feeling displeased because there are perceptions such as desirable, friendly, disgusting, so forth, the mind is activated, feels it recoils or it moves towards. That's, that's the basis of Chitta Sankara. That's what it's supposed to do. That's what it's set up for. That's the result of birth. Then the formations that arise out of Chitta Sankara are the intentions, such as. Um, <coughs> first of all, obvious intentions, intentions directed towards uh, malice or loving-kindness, um, grabbing or letting go, um, these kind of powerful moves. Some of them are just stored up these, um, as kind of um, beliefs and views. So you get, mind can also generate views, beliefs, interpretations that it locks into. No. Okay. So we have chitta sitting here and there is a sense of temperature and there's a smell. It smells like smell. So Chitta Sankara clicks into there's this perception of perhaps there's a fire. Mm-hmm. You know, based on how you perceive fire, you may either rush for a fire extinguisher or you may head straight out the door. Mm-hmm. Okay, at this point, when you decide to head for a fire extinguisher or head out the door, the Chitta Sankara has got the, the Kayak Sankara moving into some sort of action. Mm-hmm. That's right. Okay. So Chitta Sankara, you, you get some kind of perception, whether it's true or not and based upon that you act or you don't act but the, the activation occurs uh, you may you know, smell the smoke smell smoke think it's a fire think it's somebody else's house doesn't matter to me forget about it So it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean that bodily action will occur, but it means that the, 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 you know, the triggering is there. So perceptions and feelings. You can also hold views such as, um, you know, all Spaniards are evil, all Catholics are depraved, all Anabaptists are going to hell all Buddhists believe in karma all Buddhists are going to end up in hell whatever you know and that so the 
that is a very powerful form of mental karma the holding of a view so based upon that all kinds of other uh, mental activities emotions and physical and verbal activities get based one speaks of one becomes contemptuous one becomes disparaging one idolizes one um, is infatuated with and so forth one takes a stand upon a view that that mental karma means there's a, a dumbing down of intelligence so it has power has powerful effects close the mind Bhaji Sankara the basis of this is the ability to formulate concepts ability to formulate concepts sense objects are perceived there's the ability to define what they are to form a concept this is a cow, this is a bell mm-hmm. so that ability to formulate concepts out of what is perceived or what is sensed that is, that's the Vajisankara doesn't necessarily mean the right concept is formed you may look at a bell and think it's a cow <laughs> Maybe a dog thinks it's a cat or whatever, but it forms a concept. So that's that's the basis of it. And this this forming is vitaka means the mind j- jumps to a, to an object. The thinking mind jumps onto an object and tacks it, you know, and then it, it reviews that. How is that? Is that right? Is that okay? Yeah, it fits. You know, so this is kind of when you don't know something at all. You know, maybe somebody walks in, he's not certain you know them at all. The mind jumps on that person's features. Is that Joseph? Is it cool? Is it? Is it? And then you know, there's this kind of little bit of wavering, trying to figure it. That's vichara. Vichara. V i c a r a. Vichara and you with meditation you try to ex, ex, be more discerning about what you jump on vitaka you may jump on the breath or place the mind on the breath it doesn't necessarily do it by itself <laughs> so you keep vitaking it right, go there, there, tell me about it what's happening, please tell me about that, are you breathing are you breathing in, what's going on you keep kind of priming it to give you some to, to touch that and then you vichar it which means how is it how does it feel is it going in is it going out is it long short smooth soft how do you know it is it big small fiery whatever so this is the kind of pondering evaluating bit vitaka vichara that's verbal karma that's verbal activity or vajra activity activity of the thinking mind so it can be skillful or unskillful so we all know we can we tuck onto all kinds of things and uh, ponder them with particular motivations in mind can I get some of this? can I have some of this? how will I get my hands on that? can I get more of that? wow that looks really good you know so it can be motivated by greed or aversion and 
as you probably recognise, a lot of this stuff is just running like fireworks. You know, the vitaka vichara is just bursting all over the place, pondering, calculating, predicting, remembering, hashing, rehashing, and so forth. So this is all verbal karma, and it stirs everything up. Skillful, unskillful thing. So you have an inheritance in terms of the ability to speak, the ability to articulate, the ability to receive impressions and be moved by them, and all the ability to have a functioning body. And based upon that, karma gets going. So there's vipaka, inheritance, and from that is the basis of future action. Yeah, or a basis that there's a potential, and then there's particular activations. The potential is breathing in and out. The potential is perception and feeling. The potential is the ability to conceive. That's what we inherit. And then based upon that potential, certain choices are made. You know, we, we act in phys- particular physical ways, mm-hmm. and mental ways, or emotional ways, psychological ways, and verbal ways. Yeah. So, with the last one, with uh, Vajisankara, it would be speaking? It would be like what you would say? Yeah, or how you would say it. You know, you might, uh, whether you're um, speaking, is it, it's because all the Chittasankara affects all of them in terms of the, the moral quality, the ethical quality of it. So that, that, that rushes out and it activates the others. So that one may speak from a place of hostility or a place of interest or a place of um, confusion or a pla- you know from an emotional base that powers the speech. Yeah. Also, so it, 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 it um, the specific qualities of speech are generated firstly by the heart, the mood that's 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 looking for expression and secondly it's it's affected by the nature of your language you know like in George Orwell's 1984 where they changed the language so you couldn't say things like freedom anymore <laughs> you know, the word gradually disappeared so you can't say that word so depending on what your language so this is where you get the Vipaka of the particular culture that you're living in and the nuances that get created around words like justice or you know, freedom or democracy or you know, whatever you get these kind of nuanced language tones that we get indoctrinated into and we think we understand what they mean but really what they mean is a kind of a little jump and a flutter in the heart of you think, what actually does he mean by um, justice? Um, what does he mean by that? It means the ability to punish other people, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) 
without asking their opinion. <laughs> so suddenly, you know, this, you have to kind of unpeel some of the language that, that gets, particularly when they become cliches and truisms and platitudes. You sort of, what am I saying? You know. So the, the you have the 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 result. And this is a piece I'd like to look at the result which is not because of your intentions but because of what you're born into I'd like to look at the results that are, that are not dependent on your intentions but upon what you're born into hmm. such as language hmm. yeah such as um, living, you know, you're born into a place that's at war. So naturally that tends to condition your mind into being defensive, mistrustful, edgy, you know, aggressive, so forth. Not because you intended to, but because you're born into that. Mm -hmm. Um, So you're you're born into a place where your parents are, are abusive or dysfunctional, so you, you know, you come out psychologically not that balanced. Is that because your intentions? So you may you may be a delinquent or drink a lot because dependent upon that. So this is I think this is a really interesting thing to look at. You get so you get conditioning or programming from the context that you're living in. Yep. It's part of Jitta Sankara, part of Vajji Sankara, because perceptions are based upon what you perceive. So if you only perceive people drinking bottles of whiskey every day and beating each other up, then certain perceptions arise in the mind of what's normal behavior. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, so it's so getting. Get, how, how you think. How you think and speak, which is again dependent upon what you can perceive, uh, and also dependent upon your language. It's dependent upon the heart. But it's also dependent upon the nature of language. So you know, if you're in a, such a situation of extreme abuse or violence, a concept such as trust may never arise in your mind. You may never use that word. You may never have heard it. So you know what the what. <laughs> Uh, and, and so on. So there are these results, or well, these are. So the important bit in getting free, really, is to be able to um, diseng for all of us, really, to be able to disengage from vipaka and feel free to generate skillful karma or at least to not generate karma based upon vipaka, based upon inheritance. As I said before, when there is a cause, there must be an effect. When there is an effect, there doesn't have to be a cause that arises from that effect. Somebody can ball at you, you don't have to ball back. Um, Somebody can blame you, you don't have to blame them back. Uh, And the point of the turnaround is going to be in the chitta to a point that how you receive the perceptions and feelings
coming from the world around you. What you do with the perceptions and feelings that arise in the world around you. And this is where Sankara becomes very important. Mm. As I suggested before, Sankara, their potencies, their tendencies that are there. Uh, there are tendencies to form patterns. A whole lot of stuff happens and certain patterns get formed. So based upon the dominant quality. So when there is um, loving kindness, uh, generosity and so forth happening around you, the tendency will be to you know, respond in, in a like way. When those perceptions are not around you are not threatening, not injurious, then certain programs are unlikely to get triggered off. You're unlikely to get defensive. You're unlikely to get hostile if what's around you is safe and loving and nourishing. You don't get those programs running. That's pretty clear. Mm. So certain tendencies get established. Also, you might say another, just another example, if you're in a situation, born in a situation where everybody is, is rushing off to work every day at 8 o'clock, the likelihood is you're grow up to rush off to work at 8 o'clock you'll think that's normal and that's what you should do and that's what a proper person does and so forth um, but in fact in human history that's not the case <laughs> we don't have to do that but we get programmed into that particular way so you pick up um, the effect, the results of what's around you and certain programs get uh, happen mm. Point of, of well, one point of meditation is detachment, which means you know, you know to acknowledge what, what's coming in and make a choice over what you put out. So you acknowledge, say, hostility, and rather than the program of hatred, there's a pro, pro, there's something that moves towards forgiveness or patience, something of that nature. Yeah, so. This is what's called developing parami. So in Buddhist culture, there's a huge amount of emphasis. Perhaps the main theme of cultivation in Buddhist culture is in Theravada is parami, in Mahayana is paramita. Make a big thing of this developing parami, um, certainly in Thailand. Um, Which means you continually keep encouraging certain programs generosity program morality renunciation truthfulness patience resolution loving kindness equanimity um, energy discernment there are there are ten Thailand it's mostly number one they go for dana generosity it's perhaps the easiest one you know because you can, you can always you know, induce, you can give something. So you just develop that particular uh, way of conduct. And you, so what happens is if you're, like, you're carving a groove, and the tendency will be your, your impulse energy will move down that groove. How can I be generous? How can I give today? What can I share today? This is so rather than the tendency of what can I get, what can I have, how much status have I got? 
today your mind inclines another way so this is if you like creating other sankharas other programs programs are important because they will be they're the immediate avenues down which your responses will, will rush they're the immediate channels down which your responses will rush so if you get blame accusation response if you've got a uh, a detachment program that says well let's wait on that one and then a, a forgiveness program <laughs> you know then the chances are okay well it looks like she's upset uh-huh looks like she's having a bad day she's saying all kinds of things about me that's interesting isn't it I don't have to pick that up <laughs> that's hers she's having a bad day and that's unfortunate may she be well <laughs> could be you know this is very simplistic isn't it but that kind of thing rather than how dare she and you know either feeling frightened or feeling guilty or feeling angry you know which we can so rather than those particular impulses coming up you get a different set so this is in one way looking at karma of the heart which is the most the basis of all karma the Buddha says of all kinds of karma mental karma is the strongest it's the thing that generates that directs the others so because we can't not all that we're being affected by is because of our intentions still there's that moment when something touches us and then we inherit the, the programs that we've established then you inherit the programs that you've established okay so say it again you inherit not the, not the deed not the action but the program that you've established similarly in your own mind you know unskillful impulses arise unskillful intentions arise and you've got a program that says let go and it goes down that one or you have a program that says investigate this and you go down that one or you have a, yeah. so because you've established those sankharas the energy runs down those rather down those channels rather than the channels that move into verbal activity or physical activity based upon the irritation based upon the craving based upon the anxiety or whatever it is you receive either results of your own actions but instead of acting upon them in, t- in line with their mood you have, an, you have a program that, that takes them in a different direction so this is one, one main theme in, in Dharma practice is just to establish some skillful programs so what is yeah you inherit and still you can say you're inheriting the results of your deeds because if your deeds were to establish these skillful programs this means whatever touches you you'll still come out with a good result so you've inherited the result of your deeds in terms of my deeds were to establish patience my deeds were to establish kindness my deeds were to establish letting go so you, you, sta- you experience the results of your deeds your determined deeds that build up particular programs as we you know rather than say you know you, you receive blame you, you 
get angry or upset. So you go down those channels, whether you verbally act upon it, you emotionally engage with it and you keep it going and it lasts there for a day or so and it's churning around, disturbing you. So mental karma is is still thrashing itself around. Therefore it's important to recognize that what happened was you didn't establish a program that could deal with that. So that you receive results of negligence. You know, you know this is going to happen. You know you're going to get sick. You know you're going to get hurt. <laughs> you know you're going to get blamed. It's happened. You know, now, if you don't establish programs that deal with that, then you have to receive the consequences of, of negligence. So there's a certain cause and effect process in that. So, yeah. And I could show you some suttas that might flesh that out a little bit for you. Mm. Just first of all, the 171st sutra of the Book of the Fours, Nyanguttara, Nikaya, when there, there, so it's the 171st in the Book of the Fours. Mm-hmm. when there is body there arises in oneself pleasure and pain caused by bodily volition by the actions that you commit through your body when there is speech there arises in oneself pleasure and pain caused by verbal volition by the activities of your thinking speaking mind when there is mind there arises in oneself pleasure and pain caused by mental volition and all this is conditioned by ignorance doesn't mean it's caused by ignorance, it means it's conditioned. It means there's a certain um, effect that ignorance has that means that you're attached to, there's this attachment to action and result. So it's conditioned. Because of this, you feel it's yours. And because it's yours, you act. And because the action is yours, you feel the results of that. So this is conditioned. This is heightened by the quality of, of ignorance. Either on one's own accord one generates that bodily volition or when induced by others. So others may set you going. Others may instigate you. Others may arouse you. Still, if you pick it up and act upon it, that's yours. <laughs> Either clearly knowing one generates that bodily volitional formation or one does so not clearly knowing so forth with the, the speech and the mind so whether you, whether you clearly know you're doing it or you don't clearly know you're doing it you still did it so anyway this point clearly you either know it or, you, or you're not clearly knowing it um, and here in the mm, Book of the Threes, the 99th suit of the Book of the Threes, says, um, if one says just as one does a deed, so one experiences it. This be, if that were the case, there would be no way to escape from suffering. I'm sort of very loosely translating that, abbreviating it. But if you say just as you do a deed that you feel, so you feel its result then there is a way to experience the ending of it so it's, it's actions that you, you feel for 
you know you, 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 you know it not intellectually but you get the feeling for it so that helps you to understand it's, it's, there's a certain quality of knowing what you're doing that is not cognitive but emotional knowing As you, you get the feeling of <laughs> or you get the feeling of oh you know and you, so you, it's, it's your responsibility to know those because if you act upon them whether you think or don't think you're still going to get the result it's still going to affect your heart your heart's still going to get programmed in these particular ways so that's one piece to bear in mind another piece is in terms of clearing the past as we all um, know and take for granted we remember things as we all know we forget a huge amount of things and you wonder why certain things you just keep remembering day after day and certain things you never remember from one moment to the next do you know that? and when you meditate suddenly all these things suddenly come flying back again where do they come from? (laughs) how come everything you you did you, you don't remember? you don't remember where you put that book you don't remember where you put your car keys you don't remember where you put <laughs> you don't remember your cousin's birthday but you remember 15 years ago <laughs> he said that and she said this and they didn't do that so because the program was established because the Sankara was established so you, you remember dependent not on what you've done but on what a program what a sankara got formed the, the retaining property is the sankara that which retains is sankara that's the continuum that runs through time is sankara so it contains and it contains the things it's, that it's been deeply impressed by you know, So the, the the occasion. I think this is this this is the somewhere the conch blower. Forty um, eighth sutta, forty second chapter of the Samyutta Nikaya. Eight suttas, forty second chapter, forty two eight where the Buddha talks about um, someone, a murderer and the the argument is well just as you do so you reap results whatever you do you reap results of and he says okay well I say differently because you take the example of a murderer if you say what he does he reaps results of well maybe only murders one person a day maybe 20 minutes murdering you know so he's got 23 hours and 40 minutes living blamelessly so in this this analysis he's really basically a good guy <laughs> you know he's as bad as insignificant only 20 minutes going wrong or maybe only murders three people in an entire lifetime 
you know, which took him ten minutes, you know, of each, each job, a quick couple of knife slashes, a machine gun, you can do somebody in a matter of seconds. So all the rest of the time he didn't do that, but if he inherited the results of his deed, most of his time is spent non-murdering. So he's a blameless, harmless being bound for heaven because he's 98% pure, clean of non-murdering. So how come? You know, the, the, the murdering bit takes precedent. <coughs> so he said, it's not the results of your deeds; it's the results of um, the, the sankharas that get formulated. That is because you've committed a very heavy action that creates a big channel so that you forget patting the dog you forget cleaning the floor but you remember murdering somebody 15 years ago so this is what uh, so dependent upon the gravity of the intention there's two features one is repeated you do something repeatedly and one is something you do with with a degree of intensity that overrides moral responsibility overrides the law if you like of two others as to myself just as I don't want to feel pain I wouldn't want to cause you pain basic moral law and if you override that then that, that's quite a, you're creating a big channel there if you do that towards a human being that's a very deep groove and he says if you do it to your mother or father this is such a, such a deep uh, groove that, that you can't uh, get enlightened in this lifetime because it's just too too heavy mm. this is you know whether you accept that or not it just gives you a sense of the gradation of intent um, so these sankharas are formed by repetition what you do repeatedly and what you do with intensity so it can be positive or negative very good. Huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do you stack them over? Kind of get like a sandpaper and even them out if you want to get, if you sense something that you want to get rid of. When you want to get rid of bad karma, bad results. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. This is what he goes on to, to say. So, first of all, you, you, go, you go back in your mind to that, that bad deed, the pain of that bad deed. You go back to the feeling of that. that unskillful program that hatred or that uh, whatever it is uh, and you feel it you feel it again as you feel it you determine to uh, not do not act in such a way again yes. you vow never to do that again because you really you learn from that you, you smell it you taste it you feel it say so this is something to really know and not do again and then you practice um, the Brahma Vihara loving kindness compassion appreciative joy and equanimity to others as to myself in all directions to who you feel you've harmed and who you were at that particular time who you were at that particular time if you consider it most people never do bad 
they only do what's right or just or deserves to be done or serves him right or is fair or he forced me to I just want to ask you about one aspect of what you just said. Um, a child who is doing wrong to the parents, how deep that can be. So my question is, um, let's say one sees that, can the parent then do something to help the child who's doing that? Can the, what can the parent do in a way from the Baharas towards the child to help somehow balance that out? it's always useful to others as to oneself and then based upon that you probably recognize the child needs has to learn it has you know it's still in a very unformed state so it needs to learn for its own welfare if he keeps doing this he's going to get in big trouble so you know i can forgive him but at the same time he should learn this is unskillful so you got to find ways of saying you know son when you do this this is the effect it has on me it has that particular effect on me it makes it difficult for me to 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 be with you or to want to be with you you know so if you if you do that you realize you to other people you're probably not going to have any friends you know however you put that across so for your own welfare i recommend you look at why you're doing that and you know what you think what you think the results are going to be and recognize the results that you think you're getting you're not getting <laughs> you know because there's ignorance and confusion is the most difficult tendency as I said most people don't necessarily think they're doing bad because they have justifications reasons excuses or all kinds of other things get in the way of really getting in touch with wholesome unwholesome that's the main problem you know that's the main problem and so you're hunting deer you go and shoot a deer you probably don't really bear in mind <coughs> you know the fear and pain you're inflicting on that animal <coughs> your intention is just to have some enjoyment maybe quicken your reflexes have some fun with your friends you don't really consider you know if you do it it doesn't get through to you if that animal if I was that animal to others as to myself how would I feel, you know, totally terrified about to lose my life, impotent, you know, so it's that, you know, this is the ignorance and confusion. Mm-hmm. 
changing patterns exactly so it's also it's a wrong assumption to, to feel that not acting is avoiding karma because to not act is karma too you still decided not to act that's karma you said oh I can't do anything that's karma there was, a, there was an intention and you acted upon that in your, in your heart so the mental karma is the strongest the mental karma is very complex or you held a view like I'm not supposed to act um, that has results you held a particular view uh, the point of sustaining the Brahma Vihara to others as to myself means there's a time for action a time to not act it may be more skillful if you know say this person is receiving abuse rather than just to sort of accept it and not be angry not fight back to, to be able to say well do you see what you're doing you know when you do this this causes me pain this upsets me this frightens me this means I can't maintain anything like a healthy relationship with you that's what you're doing I mean that's one way of putting it but somehow that kind of message that, that it, one of the fundamental things that is recommended in monastic life is to give feedback to, to admonish and it's always said out of compassion please admonish me out of compassion please set me straight when I don't see what programs I don't see I'm running please mm-hmm. you're the one who can tell me I want you to tell me that and the Buddha said when somebody says that to you, you should respond only when you have the mind of compassion not right no <laughs> God, you know you asked for this <laughs> but say oh you know let's take that in and if I was that person uh, you know and I did lots of things programmed you realize everybody's programmed didn't really know I was doing it uh, you might say well look we, it's this and that and this and that have this and that effect did you, did you, do you know that mm-hmm. oh really you mean that upset? yes it upsets me oh really does it and you know so, so often people need to be surprisingly made aware of things that seem glaringly obvious from this point of view and so that's where the Brahma Vihara are absolutely vital to others as to myself to myself means acknowledging you know when I revisit a a bad deed an unskillful deed who was I then? you know I was angry, confused, upset not mindful, whatever it was wow how did I get like that? you know and in a sense of being able to not hold that as some identity but have compassion for having got stuck into such a state of stupidity or carelessness and right you owe it to yourself not to, do, not to go there again so that's much better than just a punitive um, response and response of out of compassion for myself also don't get into that state again don't act from that basis again so to others as to myself is the is the Brahma Vihara and it doesn't mean it's the, it's the beginning of the answer it's the, it's the basic setup. then you have to 
see what possibilities are there around you know available from there at least you're deconstructing your helpless hopeless programs does um, giving yourself loving kindness do something to those channels that we've set up? I mean, along with helping um, us to open our hearts to ourselves, does it well, as, as you commented before, you know, if you don't keep going down the bad ones, they start to, they start to die out because you're not exercising them. So if you go down the good channels, you make more of those you, and you, the sense of negativity or hatred of yourself begins to die out just because you don't go there. And that probably in, is as... I don't know, you know, but I would say that's a very useful remedy and I'd place that alongside perhaps in favour of really trying to understand why I'm this way. You know, why, why am I so negative because of this, because of that, because I never did this, because I always done that. Yeah, does that give you an answer? <laughs> it may help you to see it from a more detached perspective. It's not my identity, it's just because of conditions and causes but what are, the, what are the causes and conditions that are actually going to heal that mostly it's going to be love, compassion appreciate the good that, you, that there is there, the positive that there is there and equanimity which means this was all causes and conditions you know this is all causes and conditions you yeah. comment about killing a mother and father it just is what it brought up in terms of sometimes killing can be an act of skillful compassion for instance you know these school killings where someone comes in and shoots the person who's with the gun and killing several mm-hmm. people or a child who um, stops one parent from killing another parent or killing another parent mm-hmm. you know there's just so many conditions that do arise where one might take a violent action mm-hmm. out of mm-hmm. compassion for, for mm-hmm. life, at least one life. Mm-hmm. It may not be the person's life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it's the, it's the quality of the intent, really. It's mm-hmm. the malice and the hatred that's there. It's, the, you know, it's not an automatic thing. Mm-hmm. So it's always you know, said that in terms of a, a war, that the you know, the politicians or the generals who motivate the war have more calves than the soldiers are going and do the shooting. Mm-hmm. Or at least as much, you know, it's, it's, you, you never pull the trigger, you motivate everybody else to. So, um, you know, you, you, there's a lot of bad calm in just in that. So it's not just a mechanical thing. Same thing, you know, people debate about euthanasia and abortions and stuff like that. You think, well, this is really you know, indeterminate, you certainly can't say this is a great thing to do Um, but at the same time you can't easily moralise around it either it's a a matter of certainly intention plays a huge the quality of the intent plays a huge part in these actions Mm. my name is 
speak of uh, the conditions that one's born to, say, violent conditions, and we don't know the, even the concept of trust. Mm-hmm. And I, I've, seems to me that there are a lot of people who don't have the capacity to choose to change their programs. I mean, I've run across some people who seem to be psychopaths, who seem to have absolutely no conscience. And it doesn't seem to be any, uh, any hope. Uh, and, and, and they just seem to be keep creating heavy ground for themselves without a gap. There's a tendency to, to move towards metaphysics, the grand plan, you know, like what really the most important thing is to, to look at yourself. That's, that's the bit you can get really under scrutiny. While the people are doing the way, what they're doing, you know, <laughs> you can't really know. But you can, so it's mostly, the teaching is mostly to know your, your own mind and body and at least have some sympathy for others yeah. Yeah. can I put something in the baby talk to see if I can't um, <laughs> what you say makes great sense intellectually and emotionally um, and the deal is the practice of attempting to grab and returning to it carries over to increase ability to pay attention to motivations, intentions, and sankharas, mm-hmm. and therefore <coughs> get less hooked in That's correct. Yeah, not only to pay attention, but also to be able to um, shift energies around, yeah, which, which we perhaps look at terms that you can feel a kind of like most negative karma is generally based upon a kind of tensing up. You get anger patterns become a kind of tension that arise. You get ill will arising in the body as a kind of most toxic effect. So if you can release and clean that out it doesn't have to translate into ideas and, and moods. So if you're in a serene and peaceful state then your tetchiness capacity is remarkably reduced and learning to become more patient with a leg that's gone to sleep increases mm. your ability to be less touchy about pain and per- negative perceptions yeah, yeah. which is always what's touching the heart is perception and feeling so if you learn from your own you know, in perceptions of feelings, your body or your own thoughts are throwing up, then you're really learning about how to handle everybody else, what everybody else throws up at you. Mm. Then starting, um, 
getting yourself in, I don't know how else to say it, a rather good state for starters mm. <laughs> before one uh, tries to do some insight is sort of important. Sort of, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You don't do the insight, it's important. <laughs> you start the day feeling, you know, out of sorts and edgy and nervous, then the likelihood is soon, pretty soon you're going to blow it soon, somewhere along the line. But if you start your day feeling, you know, balanced, serene and composed, there's a good chance that's going to last through breakfast. <laughs> At least, you know. And the rest of it is trying to what Barami are about about trying to not just Barami but also these what these various reflections and Dharma trainings to try to stay in touch with the good the good patterns through the day. So you've got patterns that deal with sense input, patterns that deal with relating to people, patterns that deal with your own programs that deal with your own needs and requirements. And you keep these in place, the likelihood is you're going to stay in a much more centered and balanced and wise center than if you don't have these so you've got that's the idea of Dhamma training is to establish a kind of network of Sankharas that are going to keep you running away from, from running down the bad tracks yeah if we um, have a break or I have a break anyway for 10 minutes or so We'll look at some of that Dharma training. <laughs>